Thank you for joining yet another Big Innings podcast. Coming right up, Amin and I will be joined by a very special fellow cricket podcaster for a mashup. But first, here's some cricket news from USA Cricket. USA have announced a women's training group and selection camp set for the new Groveland, Florida facility. 24 players have been invited to attend the four-day camp just outside of Orlando from February 29th through March 3rd. Stay tuned for more, and hopefully we'll go live when the USA men's zonal squads are announced. Or should I say, if they are announced. We've got another great guest today joining us from South London, but his heart is so big that it stretches all the way to the Caribbean. Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt. Mash, thank you for joining us on the Beginnings Podcast. An absolute pleasure, a delight to be on here. And let me say first things first, anybody who has gravitated over to listen to this from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast Network, make sure you follow, share, subscribe, all of that for your podcast because... You have to share the love around. Amen. And and for our listeners, please check out the Caribbean Cricket Podcast if you don't already. I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of our listeners listen to your content as well. They all follow the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, don't worry. But they know where to be. They, they come here for just a little bit of shits and gigs, but they're, they're over there for the real stuff. <laughs> I, they just come here for when we have a controversial event in the in USA that everybody wants to learn about. But also, I believe you guys have some merch out right now, don't you? Yeah, we always try to... We try to, whatever money we make, we try to run it. It's almost like non-profit where whatever we get, we put straight back into whether that be equipment, merch, whatever. So, yeah, we got some sweatshirts out at the moment, which is, I think that's our fourth merch run. We've done shirts, we've done test caps, we've done hoodies. So now we're on the sweatshirts or crew necks, as you'd say in the States. <laughs> so we're on the crew neck range. At the moment, yeah, and uh, if anyone's interested, just DM us on Twitter or X, and I'm sure I can sort you out one. Yes, and he, he will sort you out one, I can attest to that, because I believe I was I, I purchased one from you guys on the very first run of your t-shirts. I had a... Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, a maroon one, and I still have that upstairs. I've worn it enough that it's it's where inside the house clothes right now. <laughs> <laughs> I did wear it to a couple of minor league cricket games of the very first season of minor league cricket. And I got a couple of comments from some of the Caribbean players, which was pretty funny. But yes, as I've expressed, Mash and his sidekick, Santoki, are the hosts of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. The show has been growing in popularity for a few years now. Seems to be doing pretty well right now, especially. I think you just passed 17,000 subs. There really isn't anybody who covers Cricket West Indies as diligently and thoroughly as the Caribbean Cricket Podcast does. So I don't really know when you sleep, Mash, because I think I don't even know when I sleep and you're busier than I am. You're a teacher during the day. That's correct, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I'd love to be able to tell you that we strategize and we know what we're doing and so on. I've, this year, I made the, like a New Year's resolution for 2024. Is this year's the one where I'm going to get my calendar sorted out properly. I'm going to have a content plan. Life just doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. I, I, what, 
I'd say that what we tend to do is we have a rough idea at the start of each month of who would we like to get on the show or what would we like to talk about. And because West Indies cricket is generally speaking, and I'm sure this rings true for USA cricket as well, it's generally speaking chaotic. So there's always some kind of level of madness going on, which requires some kind of reaction to 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 the latest news. So we're fortunate in that we cover a cricket team and a cricket entity that is niche, arguably very niche, but its global reach is massive. Don't know, don't know if either of you are rugby fans, but like how the New Zealand All Blacks are from a tiny country, but their global reach is absolutely massive, right? I feel like the West Indies cricket team is like that, right? And it means that for a lot of cricket fans, even if they're not West Indian themselves or if they've got any level of passing interest, the West Indies is, is such a unique tale as a team because it's not even a nation that everybody almost, if it's not their second team, they have more than a passing interest in what's going on because it's not the same as just, it's just one nation and here's their cricket set up and so on and so forth. The tales and stories that you might hear out of Jamaica will become completely different to the tales and stories you might hear out of Barbados and so on and so forth. So fundamentally, when we set up the podcast in 2019, I think we just got ahead of the curve. No one else was doing something like that. No one else was tying the stories together. So it meant that when other people then came out to do it, Rightly or wrongly, they've looked like imitators. Rightly or wrongly, because we just started first. So, <laughs> but um, but we've been fortunate. I think we've we've got a good enough relationship with the key stakeholders in the region, whether that be players, whether that be authors, whether that be commentators, umpires, administrators. I think they know that they can come on our show, and we won't be trying to do gotchas. We won't be trying to get them. If we won't be trying to get sound bites to expose them and make them look stupid. And at the same time, it suits them because it helps them get their story out there, their narrative out there in a region where your story can get lost within your own island or nation. And no one's really... Like, so Shamar Joseph, obviously he's done it on a global stage, but up until he'd done that on a global stage, really and truly... People only knew him in Guyana, really and truly. It, 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 so it's it that's West Indies cricket in, in a microcosm. Your story can get trapped in your own nation without outlets being able to magnify those stories and tales, so to speak. I, I take a look at some of the communications between various fans from various nations within the cricket West Indies, and there's little rivalries and stuff. And when Shamar Joseph exploded like he did, I was like, okay, now... The entire West Indies team is going to have to be Guyanese to some people. But but yes, it's interesting that you said that. You said so many things there that, that I can relate to in some ways and so many things that we aspire to. Um, one of the things that you said I, I'm going to have to adopt there, a good excuse for why we don't plan better. Oh, I was thinking the same thing. We just we know that USA Cricket is going to do something crazy, so we, we, we're just waiting for it. We can't plan for crazy, and that's why we release when we release. You got it. I was. You got I love it. the excuse, Mash. That. Thank you so much for that. I, I appreciate that a lot. And, and it, 
we joke that it's an excuse, but we've actually had this conversation before. Why do we even bother to make it, to to come up with with something on the day we're recording? I'll write a list of things. Here's what we're going to talk about. Because if I try to do it three days before we record, that that whole list, half that list is going to go away and be replaced by something else. Because so many crazy things happen in cricket in the USA. It's and it's so opaque too. There's no embargoing information here. You don't get that heads up. We used to, I used to could get that with the, with the prior configuration of the USA cricket board. But now it's, everything s- seems so secretive that it's hard to get a hold of this information. And then once it's out and you got to get on top of it, the tough, to me, the toughest thing is sometimes some of these things happen and they're so depressing mm. and it's all no, we just had, it feels like every time there's a step forward, there's two steps backwards. And it's hard to build momentum. It's, it, it doesn't feel like that ever happens, really. It feels like you get your hopes up a lot. And I don't know if I'm ever surprised, but I'm often disappointed. If- That's a really good phrase. Because fundamentally, first things first, Santoki and I are fans. First things first, before anything else, we're actually fans. I think sometimes people see some of the content that we record, and they're like, you lot are so negative. And it's the news is <laughs> negative. Right. Like, you can be positive, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> We're just responding to it. Like we didn't put the negativity out there. We're responding to the obvious negativity. Right. So <laughs> it's interesting in that level. I would love it. I would absolutely love it if everything in West Indies cricket just worked normally. If things were clearly structured and if you asked a question, you'd know that you'd get an answer. If that makes sense. Yeah, unfortunately, it just doesn't work like that. Right. And, and that's why I said that phrase used is correct because, and when it does work like that, and when you're on a high, you know something's coming around the corner. Within the next two to three weeks, something's coming that's going to destroy all the good work. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's, a, it's an abusive relationship. It really is. And we are fans too. That's why we do this because we, we love it. We love we want cricket to work out here. We want all these obstacles to go away. We want people to stop burning everything down and then building it back up again. We we just want to, we want some footholds here, don't we, Ahmed? Yeah, I think of Chad Pennington, football quarterback, who won the comeback player of the year three years in a row or something. He goes, I don't want to come back anymore. I want to be here to stay. That's how we, that's how it is with cricket. We don't want to come back and we just want to be here to stay. Good news after good news, but no, for sure, when it's... I think the kind of end of December, I felt like, man, oh man, we have three episodes where we are just on a downward slope. We're just talking negative. We try to throw in something positive and then so like more negative stuff piles on top of it. So it definitely gets tough in that regard. It's like when you go to the doctors and it, and they give you that little form. 2020, you go to the doctors, they give you the form and the form asks you all these mental health questions. Are you feeling depressed? Heck yeah, I am. And then the doctor looks at it and he's, oh, we need to talk about this. I'm like, and I'm like, how am I not supposed to feel depressed right now? Yeah, it's no, it, this is, means that I'm normal. Don't you see what's happening around us? This means that I'm normal. It's the same way when you're a fan of cricket in the USA. It's yes, of course, we're talking about what's happening. We try to talk about what's going on and we want to bear witness a little bit. Sometimes that's all you can do. Sometimes all you can do is bear witness. Hey, give us a typical day. Give us an idea of what a typical day in your shoes is. Naman, of course, he's at UNC. He's finishing up his school at UNC. So he's working with the with ACC sports, and he's breaking down college basketball for people. 
and I'm a public servant. I work in the public sector here in the USA. I do that during the day and in the nighttime, I get all wrapped up with this stuff and my children and things like that. But give us an idea of the typical day in your shoes. I've done it for weeks better than the day, but in essence, certainly Monday to Friday, probably between, what, so I get up at 5.45. So 5.45 until I get home on a good day, seven o'clock at night, I'm just being a teacher and all the nuts and bolts that come with it. Now, in terms of how cricket then comes into that, I will usually try and record a minimum of two episodes a week. Ideally, one would take place in the week itself and one would take place on the weekend. In an ideal situation, doesn't always work out like that. But the general notion is that whenever I do that stuff, that has to be in an evening time. But of course, being a teacher, there's marking and stuff like that to do. So, so more often than not, when I'm recording something, it's usually after 9.30pm at night, which isn't a very healthy lifestyle. What are you trying to, you're trying to run a podcast and not going to bed until... 11.30 midnight and then just going back on back into work the next day and so on and so forth but I think the advantage there is an advantage of being a teacher and all this and that's when the holidays come I don't know how many of our listeners have noticed I'm sure they have without realizing whenever it's a holiday our content has a massive up spike <laughs> as soon as school's back on it goes back down again so it is it's it is related as well to whenever those school breaks come and all of a sudden I'm super active and content is up. But like I said, I try to stick to looking at the start of the week and saying, let's get one thing out there at least. But it's also, do you know what's also harder though is the socials. The video, actually recording stuff is relatively straightforward because at the end of the day, just talking. Yeah, I agree. In the rest of social media, whether that be Instagram, Facebook, I almost feel like we need someone to just take care of that. That is actually more time consuming than the recording of videos and reacting to news and sorting out interviews. That's all relatively straightforward. But yeah, social media is a full-time job and one that I actually don't have the time to really deal with. Not just that. I I, I feel you. Honestly, I feel like I could have written all that stuff myself, what you just said. Um, <laughs> I work in the public sector, so we get the federal holidays. So I know in those days, I like to try to make more things. I like to try to, that's when I'll try to make my social media posts, for example. I don't make them as frequently as I should, but that's the hardest part. The hardest part is the social media by far. It's because it's relentless. It's just relentless. This part, Amin and I, we can spit all day long. We can talk all day long and that's- We've done it. <laughs> We've done it beyond just the podcast. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> We've done live shows before where afterwards we're standing in the parking lot together for three hours just talking about cricket. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like we just did another show in the parking lot <laughs> for ourselves. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally feel you there. And you know what, man? I'm telling you, we got to get together and with a couple other people and just be like, find somebody who wants to make all of our social stuff to, to sing in you get like 10 of us groups together and say, hey, yeah. here's your job now, dude. You do all of our, everyone's socials. <laughs> it would help. It would seriously help. 
Speaking of that, you were a part of the 99.94 Jared Kimber's attempt, a very good attempt, I think, a very smart attempt to consolidate a lot of different cricket communities together under one umbrella. It was I was very excited about that. It just didn't quite work out for him. It's a tough, it was a tall task to, to do. But during that period of time, you guys were making a lot of content as well. And I remember thinking, I don't know how, I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know how they're staying on top of all these things at the same time. I know that had to be hard. Yes, when that was happening. So we were making content for 99.94, then making content for Caribbean Cricket Podcast and trying to do different things at the same time. And like I say, that's why West Indies Cricket is the gift that keeps on giving because there was enough content to do, to do two different channels. But, but we, I think at that period in time, we were, like I was recording stuff in work. Like I'd be finishing work at, say I'd be in the office and like it gets to 5.30 and I'd be like, I can't go home because that commute on the way home is wasted time. Let me just stay in work and record something. It, that's how I was fitting it in. And leaving work later and then going home and, re- and going home and then recording something for the kind of like, it, it was nuts. It was a full on period. And like you say, it was a very, what Jared tried to do there, I think, has legs in the future. And really and truly, that's where cricket content should really be at and should be going. So if that had really gone where it should have gone, there would have been a USA show on that as well. If, if Because the cricket, Jared and I have had many conversations about this. Cricket fans have niche interests. Just like a football, soccer fan, obviously all the American sports, a basketball fan doesn't want to just read about the top five teams in basketball. There will be people who are specifically wanting to read on Milwaukee Bucks, for example, whatever it might be. And I think American sports and American content has worked that out long before we've really worked it out in cricket, that people gravitate to niche things. You said that Aman writes on college basketball. There are people in America, obviously I've got lots of relatives in America, who feast on college basketball, just on college basketball. Do do you know what I mean? But cricket hasn't really worked this out yet. Amen. how many times do we talk about this same topic? We talk about this very often that criticize franchise cricket for not making announcements about, for not making announcements about, everyone's criticizing that now, but about roster changes, about bringing new people in the team. Make this stuff standard because we will talk about it. People will talk about it. People, they want that. They want that injected right into their veins. They want to know about all the things, ins and outs that are happening. And it's very hard to stay on top of it as for us to stay on top of that too. But we want to help people learn about these things. We want to tell people about the things that we know, just like you do. And we want to learn about it and share it with people. And we want to do it with integrity. Like you said, you don't want to give people gotchas. You don't want to just bring people on because honestly, that's a great way to to shorten what you're trying to do. That's a great way to snuff out your flame because it's cricket is so opaque. And this information is just isn't regularly out there that if people get wind that you're trying to gotcha people all the time, they'll you just won't get any information now. Yeah. We're talking about this all the time. Yeah, it's so opposite to the sports culture here where it's like people have made their whole career just reporting things as soon as they come out. Like we talk about Adam Schefter or Brian Windhorst or whoever. These guys are like projected trade happening. This is going to ha- drop in the next three days or something. They'll report it three days before the it's made official. And that's just not something that happens 
in cricket. And I think we talked about this, Nate, where it's, when you can measure a sports, maybe successor reach when it's the off season, you understand how big a sport is during the off season. So when it's not CPL time or major league time, are people still talking about the CPL or major league? And the way to do that is to create off season buzz and, and players moving. If there's a player going from one team to the other, or someone got dropped or this, whatever the case may be, talk about it, explain it. Then people who follow the CPL, who follow major league will just, we will eat that up and just talk about that all day long. And I think that's how you create uh, this interest year round while it's not just your calendar season. Yeah, I agree, I agree completely with that. Yeah. We share a region with you, basically, of time zones or not with you right now, but where your heart is in the Caribbean. With the, Yeah, we share that region. We get, we get the better time zones when West Indies is playing at home. We get to watch them at better times for us. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, one of the reasons I like the Caribbean so much. That's why that's one of the reasons I like West Indies and the CPL is because it's easy to watch here. It's easy to watch the CPL here. It happens just when you want to watch sports. But we share a lot of the same challenges too. Our boards do. Our cricket does. Let's say not just our boards, but cricket itself shares the same challenges in the Caribbean and the USA. Obviously, some other challenges. We have some differences. But the vast distribution of our cricketers here in the USA are along the coasts, the east and west coast. So there's 2,500 miles in between hubs at times here in the USA. And you're quite familiar with that challenge in the West Indies with the, some of those islands are quite far apart from each other. It's very expensive and very difficult to organize events in the Caribbean. And this is one of the challenges that's never going to go away. You're, you're not, it's not like you can just all of a sudden put up a brand new hub a hundred miles away from Jamaica, you know? Mm. Yeah. We, we share those complaints. We share those, those problems. You guys are great at talking about the nuance of the problems that, that cricket West Indies faces. You have guests on that do that as well. One of the most exciting things that's happened recently for cricket West Indies was Shamar Joseph emerging and destroying Australia pretty much at the GABA. And you guys, we get to see this glimpse into what we all want from the West Indies. We get to see this, this, everybody talks at length about how we need a good, strong cricket West Indies team. And that goes deeper than just the players on the field, obviously. That goes into the system and that goes into the distribution of funds and all these things join together the, the ge geographical problems, so the challenges. But some of the things that Shamar Joseph sh suddenly popping onto the scene and showing his talents and dragging the West Indies to victory against Australia illustrates what some of these problems are and shows that he had to do an awful lot for that performance in general, but where he almost didn't even make the Cricket West Indies team, right? We, we've heard a lot about how he was a security guard. How, does, how do you go from being a security guard, maybe out of cricket for the rest of your life, and, and into the Cricket West Indies side, you would think that somebody like that would be looked after a little bit better, that somebody with the talent that he has would, wouldn't have those two extreme scenarios going on. I was thinking where to start. I think fundamentally, before I get on to Shamar, and it's interesting what you said about the US in terms of the hubs on the East and West Coast, etc. and I'll try and draw parallels. The fundamental problem in West Indies cricket is there is no joined up thinking. And I don't know if that's the same in the US in terms of an East and a West Coast, right? What is going on in Jamaica in terms of cricket development 
could have absolutely no resemblance to what's going on in Barbados, to what's going on in Trinidad, to what's going on in Guyana, and to the Leeward and Windward Islands and those the nations that make up those particular islands, right? For example, just last year, Trinidad and Tobago, they had an under-23s competition for the best young talent in Trinidad. That's not happening in Jamaica. That's not happening in Guyana. To the best of my knowledge, it's not happening anywhere else. How is that? How does that help the wider holistic developmental goal of cricket within the region? Good on Trinidad, by the way. Well done for doing that. But every single territory in the Caribbean should be doing that. And if I go a bit further, every single territory should be touring every other territory. So Trinidad's under 23s should be playing Jamaica's under 23s, who should be playing Barbados's under 23s, and so on and so forth. So you have a situation in the Caribbean, and I know the director of cricket, Miles Baskin, came on our show most recently and actually agreed with us and said, listen, this is one of the things we're trying to sort out. But there's a phrase which somebody, I won't give the name, but there's a phrase that somebody said to me a couple of years back in West Indies cricket, and I've always stuck by it, and it helped me understand everything about West Indies cricket. And that person said to me, Mash, what you have to understand is it's politics first, cricket second, and there is no cricketing decision that is made without politics being at the forefront of it first. And when that person said that, I finally got it. I finally got why certain things happen that make absolutely no sense. In terms, of, in terms of development. That's why I try to teach people and tell people about cricket in the region and why the answers that look simplistic from an outside perspective looking in is not that simple. And how that politics might manifest is somebody... Let me give you a hypothetical situation. Somebody, which may have truth in it, somebody from Cricket West Indies may visit one of our territorial cricket associations, let's just say Jamaica, and say, we want to establish academies in every single territory in the region because that's the best way to harness our young talent and make sure that people like Shamar Joseph aren't, aren't picked up as a random security guard at 23 years old, right? That person in Jamaica who has the levers of power with regards to cricket in Jamaica may say, you can't tell me what to do with my money. I'll invest that cricket money how I choose to invest that cricket money. You're not telling me that I have to build a, an academy that will help these players develop within Jamaica. But the person in Trinidad might say, that's a really good idea. I'm going to build a cricket. <laughs> do, you, do you see what I mean? There's nothing is joined up here. So, so it's the biggest, it's the biggest thing that holds us back in the region. And this is before we mention anything to do with finances. This is before we mention anything to do with TV deals or the lack thereof. This is before we mention anything to do with sponsorship. This is before we mention anything to do with transport. Just that at its core means you could have all those other issues, but if you can't solve that first one, I'm not convinced you solve anything really and truly in the long run. And then just finishing, so then to bring Shamar into that, that probably actually explains why someone like a Shamar Joseph doesn't get recognized until 24 and is working as a security guard. But even geographically, to actually answer your question, Guyana is a vast 
nation. Shamar was living in the backwaters of Guyana. It would be like, let me think of an American state that I've visited. It would be like living in Minnesota, but you're living in like the back sticks of Minnesota where they do like ice fishing and all those back stick places in Minnesota and you're not actually in Minneapolis. And yeah. So Shamar Joseph was in the back, back, backwaters of Guyana and the cricket outreach in those backwaters is just minimal to non-existent sure. so it's not even joined together in guyana much less joined together much less joined together on the water yeah that makes a lot of sense and um and that's that sounds an awful lot like the usa in a lot of ways doesn't it yeah it does we talk about it the politics part yeah that one we i very much so we that's basically on the crux of our show every week some kind of political statement or whatnot but not being able to get things right at a local level and then not being able to, we can't get things right locally. It's not going to work well at the top. And then when you get something that works locally and starting to make its way to the top, something new change, something changes politically and then it comes crashing down. And that just seems to be the kind of the flow of how things work in the USA, as frustrating as that is. I get the feeling that most of cricket around the world is like this. It's not unique to us. It's not unique to cricket West Indies. I get the feeling that there's a lot of, I don't, I don't just get the feeling there is a lot of politics in uh, international cricket, in these cricket boards. There is a lot of special interests and there's a lot of feuding. And some of that is it's difficult here to know the difference between just um, somebody, just the board being completely inept and just very bad at what they do and the potential for there being corruptions. It's tough to tell the difference, but um, there's a saying, don't attribute to malice what you can attribute to just plain stupidity you don't want to beat yourself up to it too much or become a conspiracy theorist i we joke a lot that we could become the alex jones of cricket on here just talking about american cricket because there's so many things you hear rumors all the time and things always add up one way but then you when you say take a step back and you say hey this adds up like some massive conspiracy is happening but wait when i take a step back it's just, it's just incompetence. <laughs> it could equally just be incompetence. And it's, it's difficult. We have it separated into zones here in the USA, and they've just changed the zones. But we have it separated into the zones, and we're currently awaiting, and we've been awaiting for over a week, for almost two weeks, what the zonal teams are going to be in our men's national championship, our men's T20 national championship coming up next month. And they've had trials for these they, and everything. And apparently the teams have been selected, but they've not released them officially. And now there's all kinds of rumors about how the national selectors are telling the zones who to select for their teams and who to select as the captains for their teams are, are dictating. This would be like Cricket West Indies saying, Jamaica, you have to make so-and-so your captain. And I can't imagine that going over too well in Jamaica coming down from the Cricket West Indies board. So, yeah, we, we have a lot of these similar issues. There's similarities. It's, but, yeah, it's, it's difficult when you don't know if, if there's m malice happening or if they're just incompetent. I hate you. You had a lot to say after that huge win in Australia. Of course, we just talked about some of the problems within Cricket West Indies, but that huge win in Australia, a historic moment at the GABA, which was an unpenetrated fortress until only twice now, once by India, once by Cricket West Indies. So you, you had a lot to say about challenging people to put their money where their mouth is, essentially, about how, yes, we do need a cricket West Indies that's strong, 
but what are what is the international community going to do about it? Because honestly, even if all those things are going well uh, that you said, yes, if if you get all the help from the outside that you you can get, if it's not sorted in inside the house, the inside of the house is still going to be a disaster. You have to fix the leak before you fill it with water, essentially. But but saying you do get all those things correct, there's outside help that can still help. And one of those things is the distribution uh, model, which I, I know that you're not happy with. Yeah, so I'm trying to think who I attribute this point to that I'm about to say. Was it Jared? It may well have been Jared Kimbo who said it. it and uh, apologies, whoever's, if the person who did actually say this is listening, my apologies. <laughs> but one of the quickest fixes in international cricket and international cricket development, I've always said two things. One thing in particular should happen, which I'll get to. But first, the first point is the way we sort TV rights doesn't make any sense at all. So cricket could easily pull the TV rights. And so you're selling, let's just say for argument's sake, okay, so the Super League, obviously that worked. Of course, they've scrapped it, right? (laughs) (laughs) We had the the ODI Super League and it made sense. It wasn't perfect. It was good. it It really helped the Netherlands. And of course, because it was, we're going to get rid of it. We got rid of it, right? If you have something like that in most normal sporting countries that have a good sports model, you pull, you would pull the whole TV rights around that. You wouldn't say Australia, you sort out your TV deals. Now England, you sort out your TV deals. West Indies, you get really bad TV deals, but you're on your own. Go sort some TV deals out if you can get some. You you right. pull the old GI Super League as one conglomerate, sell it to a TV company and say, you've got all the rights to all of these games. Yeah. And we're going to try play them in slots, which suit your TV calendar, and then we'll share out the money. Cool. <laughs> for some reason, cricket doesn't work like that. And that model that they're working off where the pie goes to, we know who the pie goes to, the, the majority of the pie goes to, but even more, even dumber than that, when touring teams go to other countries and make no money, that doesn't make... It's so dumb, I can't even explain to you why it exists. Even if I tried to dumb my mind down to work it out, I still couldn't work out why that exists as a financial model that you must incur a complete money-losing endeavour and you can't make anything back whatsoever. So I've always said that needs to happen, that TV rights should be pulled and then shared out properly, right? The second thing that I think would benefit cricket massively, and it's actually to the detriment of West Indies cricket, but for our long-term benefit, every single format of cricket, and the thing is, it it happens at the associate level, but they don't want to do it at the full member level. Every single format of cricket should be divisional. Every single format. 100%. Leagues. Yep, absolutely. West Indies suck at ODI cricket, right? Really and truly, we should be in. We should probably be in the same league as USA. Really and truly, whatever, however they separate it. Okay, maybe not USA. <laughs> but maybe Scotland, Ireland. Okay, like it's not outside the realm of possibility that we wouldn't win a league with Scotland and Ireland in it, if, if and the Netherlands. For I sure, point out, right? For sure. But cricket has. 
because cricket for so long has been a closed member circle, the way to easily develop it and by proxy develop the associate sides is to have promotion and relegation. Now, of 100%. course, people look at US sports and say US sports exist without promotion and relegation and so on and so forth. But US sports spreads money out properly and does draft systems properly, which counteracts the need to relegate teams. So Absolutely. So, so, so you can't use the US model as a kind of counteract. Like, you don't need to do that. So right. I mean, we distribute our revenue fairly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's several quick fixes which people, it's almost like people who have the actual power, they must know it exists. So it's got to be willful ignorance to do it. To right. not do it, I should say. This is what I mean when people complain, especially in the UK, when people complain about how cricket is being Americanized. They, they say it's being Americanized when they talk about franchise cricket. And I, my opinion is that it isn't being Americanized, that it ought to be. And by Americanized, revenue sharing. Every one of our big four leagues understands that revenue sharing is the only way to sustain the league. The league is only going to be as strong as the weakest team. The IPL itself understands this. The IPL distributes its, its revenue fairly equitably compared to the ICC, at least. So the IPL understands we've got, to, we've got to share our revenue with all the teams to keep the team strong. And yet the BCCI doesn't seem to play that same game. They want 38.5% of the pie themselves. And, they, and a lot of people, when you point out that this is ridiculous, a lot of fans of India will tell you, oh, we're doing it better than everyone else. We have more fans. And a lot of these boards are poorly organized and they have so many problems they would be throwing money down the drain to give them the money. For example, a lot of people will have argued to me that giving the West Indies a bigger slice of the pie would just be a waste because they don't have their stuff together. And then I watch the World Cup in India and I see the very first game, two-thirds of the stadium's empty because it's not an India game. And they'll and, and and then people say, oh, it's not because of that. It's because there was a ticket problem. Oh, that's even better. Your your own board, when or the ICC and your own board together couldn't get things together enough to to sell tickets to your own biggest event, to your flagship event. And you're trying to tell us that the rest of the world can't get their things together. And not only that, but you don't have working bathrooms in half of your stadiums. You know, you don't have working restrooms in half of your stadiums. To me, that's crazy. That argument's crazy. The bottom line is, I 100% believe in fair, even progressive, even a progressive distribution model. But this is a regressive distribution model. This is give all the money to the wealthiest and let everyone else fend for themselves. The money also goes further in India than it does in the West Indies. It goes much further there. These are U.S. dollars we're talking about distributing. I think the compromise should be everyone gets a share, a fair share. Everyone gets a, the Forbes con compromise is that everybody gets an even slice. All the full members get their even slice and then the associates get what they get. I would argue that we should start even further on the progressive side and say, all right, look, West Indies needs more money than some of these places do because it's just generally more expensive. You could start from that argument. I think the compromise is distributed evenly to everybody. That's the compromise to me. Yeah, no, I think the TV rights thing is super interesting too because were you mentioning the, the basically the Super League selling that as a TV rights deal. And then so you can wrap things up in leagues and then 
that's something that's done before. In the NFL, in American football, they, they do that with the NFC and the AFC. The NFC has been sold to Fox Sports. The AFC has been sold to CBS. CBS will do all the AFC games. The NFC does all the Fox Sports games. So a couple of NBC rights and somewhere in there. College football, the ACC gets sold to somebody. ESPN gets sold to another person. Big Ten, everywhere else. Mm-hmm. I think having these conglomerates, I think, Nate, we were talking about this one day, like having a, you know, like a South Asian, a the, wherever, just like geographically grouping countries and having them play. Or I think, Mash, the way you were describing it, okay, these this is how you rank ODI-wise. We're going to group the top 80 ODI teams and the next eight and then the next eight, whatever, however you want to go. I think that's a great way to do it to where you can just say, all right, who highest bidder gets division A of ODI cricket? And then the next highest bidder gets division B. The next shot gets division C. And then great. Now you get TV rights deals that can be split amongst eight teams or 10 teams yeah. versus having to split it amongst all the ODI members. You can split that one TV rights deal amongst the eight teams that, that it applies to. You're, you're, the problem you're making here is talking sense. So you'll have to try. You have to try again. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love that idea. Actually, I love the idea of tiering it, of of putting it in a promotion relegation system. I really like that. Uh, we've argued that. We've argued before. Emerging cricket all the time argues that why do we have to play for our lives? Why do associate players have to play for their lives in a league? We have to play for their livelihood in a league. That, that where everyone plays 36 games, everyone plays 36 one-day games over a cycle, and meanwhile, the full members can do whatever they want, and we're going to go by rankings anyways on everything, and so they can navigate those rankings however they want to and, and manipulate them, because you can manipulate the, the rankings based on who you play, and then they cancel, a big full member will cancel on somebody, because, ah, yeah, it's not been, it doesn't, we're not going to make a lot of money playing Afghanistan, so we're never going to play them, things like that. And I would love to see, I would love to see that happen. And it would take a little bit of the power. A lot of people say that those backroom deals made that India gets everyone to vote on their side because they say we just won't play you if you don't vote with us. And then it would take that threat away. You would get more fairness in your decision making amongst the the national governing bodies because you wouldn't have. If that really does exist, it wouldn't exist anymore. But you'd have to play a league schedule. So yeah, I, we, we, I'm glad we agree on that. Let's just let's just take over the ICCs. We'll talk a little bit about franchise cricket now. Uh, obviously, Amon and myself are we're huge fans of Major League Cricket. We did a post game live show after every Major League Cricket game this season, the inaugural season. There's a lot of great Caribbean players in the league. Nicholas Ferran in the MLC Finals gave us an incredible show, one of the best innings I've ever seen before. And we got to see it in person, Amon and I, down in Texas. It's from a Caribbean point of view. It's, it seems like a it competes a little bit with the CPL. At least all these leagues seem to compete a, 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 with each other a little bit and also s- schedule themselves around each other so they don't have to go head-to-head against each other so much. But from a Caribbean point of view, do you feel like the Major League Cricket is welcomed? I haven't put that question to the key figureheads in CPL yet. What I will say, though, is the following... Three, yeah, three years ago. Three years ago, I wrote an article. I think it was published in The Cricketer. So people can search it online if they... I think you and I spoke about it, Nate. We did. You, yeah, yeah. You, I was quoted in the article. Yeah, yeah. I quoted you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so three years ago, I wrote an article, and it was about expanding CPL. And at the time, I said that CPL 
to me was going to come a cropper at some the basic premise i was making was if it doesn't try to expand it's going to reach a point where it starts to look a bit irrelevant it's only a six-team tournament etc i remember asking pete russell the coo at the time maybe not of the maybe not at the time of the article but maybe a few months later i said why have you not added more teams and he said we feel that six teams is the right size it means the tournament can be short sharp and quick i said okay cool i said have you ever thought about expanding into canada or the united states because it to me it made sense that you have a canadian you have a caribbean tournament you have a canadian franchise you have a probably like a florida franchise what would have made sense at the time obviously jamaica had tried to move to florida anyway and that experiment had failed yeah mainly because i think that what's that what's it called again Bowood or broward i can't Broward, Broward. yeah yeah it's, it's not the best venue in the world but anyways it had failed right now they said no when i heard that major league cricket was gonna start or was in the pipeline around the t i think i spoke to tom dunmore and we're talking about Major League Cricket and so on and so forth. I got afraid for CPL. Not because I've got any loyalty to CPL, but just because I was like, the Americans are going to launch this thing and it's going to look better than CPL. It, I, now, hear me out. I don't think it is yet. But the thing about Americans and doing sports, they know how to do sports properly. And they know how to package sports properly to at least make it look like it's bigger than it is. Year one for me was the baby teeth year okay so let's get some teething problems out of the way it had the great spectacle of puran doing what he did in the final so they had a story to tell and so on and so forth now year two it looks like they're going a bit harder looks like they're going a bit harder they're pushing the product a bit more and i just wonder now luckily there's not a lot of overlap between mlc and cpl but i think there'll be more money in mlc going forward and if you're a top tier player i just think you'll play mlc and skip cpl that's what that's where i see this headed now of course you could say to me oh people will just play mlc then go to cpl because geographically you might as well stick around and then just go to the caribbean premier league afterwards but if you've made enough coin from playing major league cricket do you really need to go to CPL afterwards? CPL is already struggling for star power. Nobody's willing to admit it. But the last few editions of CPL, they're struggling. They're struggling to attract top, top players to come and play CPL. So I'd, I'd say, if you'd asked me three years ago, what, what, where would you rank CPL? I'd say it's the number two league in the world. Because it's got, it's got its own moniker, the biggest party in sport. It's got a particular brand that no other league can match but you still have to have the players. Three years down the line, I don't think they've got the players. And more importantly, and, and this is how I know that CPL's worried about it. Behind the scenes, they have signed an agreement with Cricket West Indies that from next year, they are going to run a domestic T20 tournament only, right? The reason why they've agreed to that, and Santoki and myself spent a lot of time in last year's CPL criticizing product shit, sorry to swear, on the actual field, it's no good. It's it it looked shoddy last year. It was a poor quality tournament to watch. And the problem is they're they're marketing their when you don't have the stars, the domestic stars, gone are the days when we could say we've got a Chris Gale, we've got a this person, we've got a that person. In fact, the players we market CPL around now are still the same players who were like goats ten years ago, if that makes sense. So it's still Pollard, it's still 
Narayan, it's still Dre Russ, but they're all 36, 30, 35. The new blood haven't come through. So your domestic product is only as strong as the strength of your domestic players because we're not attracting the big enough overseas players to override that. So I think CPL have recognized we're in trouble. So now they're putting their money behind this T20, domestic T20, because they've got to find new stars. Now, of course, MLC, slightly different. MLC doesn't need to market itself around American players. What I'd be intrigued to know from both of you, though, is at what point will it need to have an American star? And so that's the only, that's the only bridge... I don't know when it'll come. Maybe it's five years from now. I don't know how long the CPL, so the MLC, sorry, market continues before it needs a franchise player who's actually American. Do you think I've got that wrong or do you buy that? No, I think that's a very fair question. I think we've, we've thought about this. We were really hoping that the second year of Major League Cricket, they would try to connect to non-traditional cricket fans, the mainstream American sports fan. And we were hoping that would be their approach to this second Major League Cricket season. And we, we don't know yet if it will be. But the first season, it makes sense with Major League Cricket to capture the existing cricket fans in the USA. Because there's a lot of cricket fans in the USA uh, because the diaspora is huge. But we are curious about how they're going to approach that. How they're going to approach marketing this to the mainstream American uh, cricket. Uh, sorry, the mainstream American sports public. And yes, that is a good question. Will Can they succeed without tons of Americans standing out in the league? Like the Caribbean League, the CPL, as you said, relies on their, their domestic stars. In fact, I think every full member nation league relies on their stars. And that's one of the reasons why I think England and Australia lack in their franchise leagues. Because they're in the middle of playing the Ashes, in the middle of their T20 flagship league something like that they're off playing test cricket somewhere else and they don't have their biggest name players playing in their own tournaments they're playing internationally and i think that's a kind of a mistake that's something i think the ipl actually did well was make sure that all their stars were playing in their own franchise league the, the psl does that too but yes that's not really a concern here the biggest concern here is can we get all the very best players in the world who are available and mm -hmm. Because of the fact that, and we can still do that, and the reason we can do that is because of the fact that when you look at the IPL and you look at how much money it makes, and it's the 13th most lucrative sports league in the world right now, something like that, right? It's raking in an awful lot of money. Now, if you look at the other leagues around it in various sports, in the top 10 or even in the top 15, other than cricket, and you look at the fact that the highest paid IPL player it makes about two and a half million U.S. in a year or in a season. It's Yes, it's a short season, but still. And then you look at the fact that IPL players get about 7 or 8% of the IPL revenue. That's crazy in American terms. Our American sports franchises, our biggest ones, our biggest franchise leagues, our biggest sports leagues, distribute about 50% to the players. And that ensures that no NBA player is going to go play in China over the NBA. Steph Curry, you're never losing Steph Curry. He's not leaving the league. And because of the fact that the IPL pays so relatively so low for what they make, you Major League Cricket has the opportunity to be the number two best-paying league in the world. 
if you look at it. They have the opportunity to do that. And so as long as that happens, they're going to have the cricket world's attention. And that's what I think matters to them right now more than anything else. And as an American sports fan, our sports, our pro leagues here, NBA, NHL, uh, NFL, Major League Baseball, we want the Shohei Otanis here in our league. We want the best baseball player in the world in our league. We don't want him playing in Japan. And if he's here playing in, he's now with the Dodgers, having signed a really interesting contract. But he's here, he's playing with the Dodgers. He was playing with the Angels before that. As long as he's in our league, and as long as we have the best players in, in Major League Baseball, I don't think many of us think, oh, shoot, that guy's from Texas, or that guy's from Maryland, or that guy's from, from New Jersey or, or California. When I watch an Orioles game, I just that's my favorite team. When I watch these guys play, I don't care where any of them are from. I just want to see them play well. And, and challenge, Let me challenge you, though. Sure. Both of you on this, though. Yeah. Because I raised this. To, I'm going to reuse another sport to explain my point here. Yeah. I sure. had this conversation about NBA the other day, right? And I said to a colleague at work, obviously, LeBron is the face of NBA, right? Franchise player. Cool. I said, if, I said, if LeBron didn't exist, would NBA ever promote Luca or Giannis as the face of NBA? And my friend said to me, no, because they're not American. And, the, and then we got into this big discussion about do American sports need an American, an all-American figurehead? So I get, don't get me wrong, I get the point. No, I'm not saying that no one's looking at Luca and Giannis and saying, are oh, they fantastic for my team? Yeah, I think people are doing that. The product, do American products still need that all-American face to sell it beyond the niche fan, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the big thing is going to be, I think the first thing is quality, right? We, we want to see the best players play, whatever sport that is, it doesn't matter where you're from. But in regards to the face of the league, I do think it matters. I do, I do think it matters because a lot of people throw Jason Tatum as a face of the league. He could be the next guy because he's an American face. I heard Jay Reddick talk about it the other day. Hey, he's an American guy who's winning a lot. And I do think at some point, Major League Cricket is going to need a USA guy to step up. Now, my the way I look at it is Nash Kenjage was that guy in season one where he came on, played for the USA team for years on top of years. I grew up, was it out there in New Mexico? Alabama. 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 It was Alabama. Crazily, yeah. it's Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, it's Alabama. And he grew up down there and he came on and the international fans loved it. And you could point to, hey, here's an American who's making a difference. And I don't think right away you need every team to have a huge, like that American that's going to be like, wow, this is the best player on the team. This is the guy who's one of the best players in the league. But you can get one, you can get two, you can get three and just start building. I think that's what you need. I don't think you need a mass insurgence all at once. Yes, it would be nice to have that. But I do think if you get one guy to be like a great story and the next year it's say Ali Sheikh comes along and wow, look at this young kid who could, is playing amazing and as Andres Chalice or whoever it may be, I think if you get those guys to just start building on top of each other, just like building blocks, I think that's where it comes in. I think early on, the playing cricket in the USA is an anomaly. And so I think international players are going to want to come here. We're, we're able to pay them money and fans are going to get to see the highest quality cricket. But then beyond that, the stories that come from the one American guy, there's the two, the three that start to build in, that's what's going to keep people staying. That makes sense. Yeah, you both convinced me completely. In in fact, I'm gonna take your point of view on that and double down on it even more. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's, 
I think it's even more important in Major League Cricket that, that some of our domestics thrive than it is in some of these other sports. Specifically because Luka's not going anywhere next year from the NBA. He's not going to suddenly disappear for a year. We talk, Amin, about we're excited because Steve Smith will probably be in Major League Cricket this year. We're anticipating Steve Smith will be here. He wasn't here last year because where was he? He was playing Test Cricket, right? Mm. The international stars aren't going to be... You're not going to be able to build the league on the back of these stars who build up a huge resume within the league that, that we love records. We love to see scoring records and things like that. And you're not going to be able to have, what if Nicholas Prawn isn't even in the league this year? He, he was retained, but what if, he, what if he isn't? Then all of a sudden, the guy who was the superstar of your league last year is, is not in your league anymore. That's, that's crazy for an American sports fan. That's crazy. And the only people we get, we're going to be able to say that about are going to be our domestic players. They're the only ones that are going to be here for sure every single season. They're the only ones that will have guaranteed continuity. So we do need some of them to stand up. But it's more than just them being American cricketers that matters. They have to have the right personality too. Yes. If you if if you look in the at the NHL right now, there's a uh, there's a hockey player there a player in the NHL right now who's probably the best player since Mario Lemieux in the 90s. And his name is Car Connor McDavid and he's absolutely electric he's the rarest combination of elite speed top he's the fastest guy in the league and the most skilled at the same time this is insane you you're a big football fan you're a big soccer fan math yeah you get that combination in, in in football in soccer and you've got the most skilled guy and the fastest guy and the, and the quickest guy that's insane and they have that right now in the nhl and this guy is not the face of the league because they, you, you know, most people who don't know about hockey in the league don't even know this guy's name. And that's crazy. We all knew Wayne Gretzky, even if you didn't watch hockey. Yeah. And, it, and it's because he's just not got that personality. And so, yeah, we need, we do need that. We need that really bad. <laughs> but if you get it, if you get it, I think that's how cricket breaks the mainstream in really breaks into the mainstream in America because I've got this wrong, but that's when you can get an American guy with an American sound on, I don't know, talk shows actually yeah. talk like that, that connects better to the average American than Steve Smith going on a talk show. No one knows who Steve Smith, do you know right. what I mean? So yeah, yeah. that's where I agree. It's the American story that is needed. That will really blow the league up. Yeah, agree. Yeah, we, we definitely need that. I would say our best version of that right now is Steven Taylor, who yeah. grew up in Florida. Parents wanted him to play baseball. His family's from Jamaica, but they wanted him to play baseball. And he just couldn't leave cricket alone. He wanted cricket. And he's he sounds like he's grown up in Florida because he has. Yeah. And he's incredibly talented. He's just a very talented cricketer. He just happened to have a bad major league cricket season last year with the bat. He's known for his batting. He's still good with the ball. But but a right arm off break bowler in T20 cricket is never going to be the superstar of the league. So he needs to bat. But yeah, we need Steven Taylor to come through and we need Steven Taylor to want to talk to cameras. That's another problem. He doesn't <laughs> want to talk to cameras. <laughs> so have you heard much about minor league cricket over there in, in the UK or or Yeah, do you know what? So I'm a fan of minor league cricket because so many of our guys play it. So it's we can't ignore it. I've only got, so every year when it happens, 
I'm like refreshing pages. I'm trying to find updates as to what's going on. And that's actually my only criticism of minor league cricket. It's still a bit hard to, I know like they've got better at it, but it's still a bit hard. If, maybe that's cricket as a whole. Cricket's not very good at market, <laughs> marketing itself. It's still a bit hard to know who's where, when the games are happening, and obviously it's in the US time zones. So that doesn't make it easy from London. So you're finding out after the games have been played, if that makes sense. But yeah, I think the the, the the minor league page when I was looking at it last year is much better than it used to be. But really and truly, again, maybe it's an American thing in terms of how they set sports out. Because I almost feel like the minor league page sets it out like the way baseball stats would be set out. But all I want is who's got wickets, who's got runs, yes. <laughs> what's, the, what's the average, and who won the match. <laughs> That's really all I, all I want. So I just feel like the interface of it could be a lot more accessible. Really? I do believe it's something a lot of West Indian fans should pay attention to because loads of our guys flock over there. And actually, right. loads of our guys go over there. But you'll see like these things like, Houston T20 Open, Atlanta, <laughs> Atlanta T20 Open, US Open, and all this. So I'm always paying attention, but it's just hard to know what's going on and where and who's running that tournament versus who's running that tournament. <laughs> it's very hard to get your head round, but my league sure. has been running for a while now, so I feel like that's established. Yeah, Amin and I do the minor league cricket draft show every year. So we do a live show during the minor league draft where the teams are announced. And we, we try to stay on top of that for people because we know how difficult it is to get source, to source that information your own self. Crick Clubs is the best place to get stats for, for minor league cricket. And, but yeah, if you ever have any questions about who's playing where, message me and I'll try to find out if I don't already know. Like mm. the same problem exists with other franchise leagues. We sometimes don't know because I make the week, I make a weekly show about minor league cricket during the season. And we sometimes don't know that all of a sudden a big name player is on a team until we're pulling through the 29 different teams or the 26 different teams that had games that weekend. And we're looking through the score sheets like, yeah, it, that's, <laughs> oh my God, we're getting Cornwall. What? <laughs> like, that, that's, that's, that's the way literally exactly what I felt last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we usually find out before anybody else. So if you ever want to know, let us know. We did get the pleasure of commentating Rakeem Cornwall several times in 2020. Oh, were, were you at that game when he got the, what was it, 200 and odd? We weren't no, at that. We were not there. We, <laughs> that one. we did see him here at our own ground at Church Street Park, and he was just, he was unbelievable. But he's, I have so much respect for him as a cricketer. Just, mm. he's so smart. I think that, I think people underestimate him so much because he's not just a brute that can hit the ball a mile he's a very smart guy he's a, he's a very good slip fielder he's obviously a very good bowler but i think i i mean i have a ton of respect for him he did give me the slip though i tried to get him i i tried to interview him and he and this was the beginning of the weekend and i was like hey can i interview you after this game i want to i've got some questions he was like come find me at the end of the week <laughs> at the end of the weekend <laughs> and I realized that I wasn't going to get him because we have a lot of double headers here. And that, and on Sunday, the last day of the weekend, he played the first game of the double header, and we were on commentary. And we're like going into the second game on commentary. I'm like, Raheem Cornwall's not 
he's left. They've already left. I'm not going to get him. There's no chance I'm going to get him now. I'm stuck doing commentary when I want to be chasing him in the parking lot. But we've had Kezi Archibald and Matthew Ford here for our own yeah. team. Matthew Ford, I've been, we've been so impressed with him, Amin. Oh my God, he's a match winner. He's won, so he won a couple of close games for us. And then even in un- unwinnable circumstances, we're like, oh, no, nah, Matt, Matty's out there. He's going to get it done. Matt is going to get it done. No, he's terrific. Kezi played that way too. He was great in the clip for our team. Kezi was fantastic. And I know he's, I don't know if he's known as much for his T20 cricket, but he was excellent. But yeah, Matthew Ford, what a great upcoming talent he is for Cricket West Indies. Yeah, he's going to be a West Indies international. He's just on it on the cusp now. So I'd say what? So he's broken through. I expect him to be a stalwart within the team. Within six six to eight months, I expect him to be just on the team sheet on a regular basis. And do you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if Matthew said that things like minor league cricket helped him. Because the reality of the situation is people think these players are just going over to the States for a payday. And don't get me wrong, the, money's, the money will be useful and good for them. But at the end of the day, they're just trying to play some cricket. Yeah. And the advantage of playing in the States is it's a two-hour or three-hour flight. Or if it's from Jamaica, it might be a one and a half hour flight or whatever it might be. So it's actually geographically, it just makes sense to, to go across and, and play uh, minor league cricket. What I'd be intrigued to know, and you don't have to go into to, to, to a lot of depth on it. Do you think the quality has been improving year on year? Absolutely. I, I would argue it, the, the quality of play has improved Every year, it's gotten to the point where there were guys who the first year were stars in the league. And by by now, two years later, and they're not, it's not like they went from being 31 to 36 years old. There were guys that stood out, that were standouts in the first year that now are the average guy because the, the quality has improved. And that a lot of that is that some of the younger guys who got chances early have now earned them their, their way into being regular contributors on their teams regular standout players on their teams and some of it is just because we keep getting this influx of players who end up moving here to the usa and part of it is also the infrastructure is improving we're getting we've got more hybrid and turf wickets in the usa than we've ever had before mm. and so players aren't just playing on astroturf like they used to four years ago three years ago that makes everybody better and I'd argue that more importantly than the turf is the outfields. You have a lot of bad outfields historically in the USA that are thick grass. You get the Astro combined with the thick, long grass. And what are you going to do? You're going to, in, in short boundaries, also in a lot of our old uh, grounds, you're just going to try to hit sixes because you hit a perfect cover drive for one and it dies. We've improved our infrastructure and that's improved the talent. And with the, with that, with the influx of players coming in, uh, a lot of first-class players. Uh, I'm always impressed by how many Caribbean players there are here. They continue to move here. Yes, it's gotten so much better. It's gotten a lot better. I, it can still improve. There's still 26 or 27 teams, so you're still talking about a fairly diluted league. But what ends up happening is the players tend to move around themselves and form hubs. Like the hubs have changed over the last three years because the players themselves have decided we're all going to settle in Texas together and Texas is going to become the, the hotbed for USA, U.S. cricket. And right. these things happen organically. And some of it's because there's people who will pay money to move them there in Texas. But yeah, that's... So there's naturally 
organically becoming these, the, the divisions are separating themselves in terms of quality. And that's what's happening right now. The divisions are all, they all play on the same level, on the same tier. It's not a pyramid. They all play on the same tier. Yeah. I would argue that it should start, they should start pyramiding it. They should start to divide it up a little bit, tear it up. Yeah. Yeah, for real, for real. But, but yeah, that was, that was a great, ch great chat, Mash. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm going to wrap it up because we've been talking for about an hour. <laughs> then you two have to go, then you two have to go do three hours in the parking lot afterwards, yeah? <laughs> yeah not tonight but that will come we're waiting to do a live show we we love to do our live shows on youtube that we just have so much fun with those but it's usually we reserve those for big events like big announcements i'm we're gonna do one probably when these teams are, are announced for the u.s for the national championships that way we can have people join us in the chat we can answer their questions and we can have a it, yeah, yeah we'll see yeah. and then be insulted by them also that's a lot of fun too but, uh, but thank you for joining us. We, I've always admired you and your content, and I've been wanting to have you on, and I'm really ha happy that we got to do it. No, for real, man. Absolute pleasure. And yeah, we'll have to return the favor when I just saw, we just did a show on PSL. I think one of the, I said to you that we don't have content plans, but one of the things we want to try and do this year is before every tour, major tournament starts, we speak with an, with experts within that particular country on the West Indians that are featuring in the league. So certainly when Major League Cricket, Minor League Cricket is all properly kicking off, please both of you do come on and let's riff on it. But I know we're finishing, but interestingly enough, that was the one thing I was disappointed about with Major League Cricket last year. Despite the geographic closeness, there weren't actually a lot of us. There weren't a lot of the West Indian players there. Now, maybe that's a sign of our standing in T20 cricket. Maybe it's a sign of competition from other leagues but I actually just assumed when Major League Cricket was announced all oh, right we're have loads of West Indians playing there but there was nothing wrong we were there but given the geographic closeness we weren't the dominant group there and that was quite interesting and pretty instructive to me as to boy we really aren't wanted anymore <laughs> <laughs> but let's see how the drafts go this year and maybe we'll be back outside again I would argue that I think Akhil Hussein improved his standing in the T20 circuit in our in the Major League Cricket this last year. He was fantastic for Washington Freedom. He was one of two players retained by Washington Freedom, uh. and I think that he's I think he's I think he's an excellent T20 cricketer. But I think players like him will continue to emerge. I'm I'm sure, and find a place and find a home in Major League Cricket. I'm hoping to see. Hayden Walsh Jr. find a team again. He was with Seattle this last season, and he was their basically their 12th man every game, and he was on the field more than he wasn't. <laughs> but but I'd like to see more West Indians, actually, in Major League Cricket. I would love to see that. I think one person we spoke about who, I, if I was a franchise, I'd be picking up Matthew Ford. That's all, I'd, yeah, that's, that's, that's all I'd say. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. But anyone listening to this who's thinking about what to do, I'd be looking at Matthew Ford. Oh, us too. Almond, we were on commentary. The, one of the great things about minor league cricket, it's not as much anymore. They added playoff teams. But with 26 teams in the league, there were only eight that made the playoffs uh, the first two yeah, years. Yeah. It was a very hard thing to do. It was hard to crack the playoffs. And uh, in the South Division, our Morrisville Raptors made the playoffs. And it was because of 
It was because of Matthew Ford, or Matthew Ford scored the winning runs in a very close yeah. game. We needed two to win at the very end, and Matthew Ford point. <laughs> played it behind point. Fielder ran over, fielded it, threw it in, and he made it back just in the nick of time. Who was the keeper on that play? I'm trying to remember. Uh, Hamilton. Hanshard Hamilton. Yeah, Hanshard Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. lightning. Was the wicket keeper on that play, but it was a photo finish at, at, at the at the striker's crease when he came back and scored two, and we were doing the commentary on that. Actually, wait a second. No, you were doing commentary on that. When, I think it was me and Nick. Me and Nick over there. Yeah. Nick and Chandani, you two were doing commentary, and I was jumping up and down someplace. <laughs> <laughs> I think we cut you in live. I think they did. I think they went from the celebration with Matthew to Dane hyping up the crowd to Nate jumping back to Dane hyping up the crowd. I think that's how, how the sequence went. If I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we have really high feelings about Matthew Ford. We love Matthew Ford. We know that he's the type of, he's just got, the, he's got that dog in him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's a really good phrase. Yeah. <laughs> it works I for him. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, thanks again, Matt. No worries. Absolute pleasure. And whenever you need me on again, just let me know. Awesome. We'll definitely take you up on that.